But if the church acted like the church, well, we're going to do that real quick this morning. Uh, George, who joined our church a few months ago, is he just had a tragedy happen. His father passed away. Uh, he's going to be going back to Venezuela. George, are you from Venezuela? No. Okay. <coughs> Colombia. Awesome. And so uh, if you could all just maybe just agree with me, kind of extend your hands toward George. Want to pray a protective covering on his trip. Pray for healing, uh, grief over the loss. And uh, pray for the conversations that George is going to have uh, as he reconnects with his continent. So Heavenly, Fa Heavenly Father, we lift up George. And uh, God, we stand with him. We stand behind him. We thank you that uh, you sent him here with us. He's just been such a great, uh, great, great friend to get to know and great, great guy to have around. And so, Lord, I pray for your blessing to be upon him, for your words to be in his mouth as he has these conversations. I pray for healing, Lord, over the loss and the grief. God, that you would prepare him uh, for the days to come and that he would know he's got a church named Life Point here in Bakersfield, California, standing behind him, but he's also got a Holy Spirit going with him wherever he goes. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Bless you, Georgia. <coughs> so Dan is known as the motorcycle man, huh? Everybody's like, you know, got their thing, you know. Mark's the video guy, you know, and and everybody's got their thing, you know. What am I known as? I'm kind of curious. You would say Tom the what man. Please don't say that short guy. I know. I get that. That's <laughs> can't get away from it. And the worst part about getting older is you just get shorter. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> as I'm getting shorter, my sons are getting taller, you know. <laughs> but that's the way life goes, amen. It's a constant reminder. We're not going to be here forever, right? <laughs> so I say every time I see the gray coming in in my beard, the Lord's reminding me, you're not going to be here forever. <laughs> well, this morning, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to 1 Samuel 21. We've been, during the summer, uh, we've just been doing uh, sort of random Bible stories because uh, they're good stories to reconnect with. Beginning in two weeks, uh, we are going to be doing our fall series and uh, if I can just say this, I do believe um, that this fall series will be probably uh, one of the most important, and I know every preacher is supposed to say that, every, every pastor says their sermons are, are the most life-giving sermons on the planet, but I can say just for me personally, I'm the only one who's heard 22 years of my preaching, for me personally, this will take it to a holy level. Uh, what God has done, it's easy to do a sermon series and study for it in your head and go to Bible college and learn the tools to do a good Bible study, a good Bible series. But it's what God's doing in my heart with this series that we're going to begin two weeks from now. Uh, if I were you and I'm just challenging you, make a commitment to come to church every Sunday for the next eight weeks after two weeks if you can. Because uh, I, I do believe it's just going to be an experience, more than just a sermon series. It'll be an experience as we really 
um, discover God's heart for us. I'll just leave it at that. So, this morning, we're talking about the sword of Goliath. So, uh, <coughs> we're going to be going to 1 Samuel 21, and it is a story that involves King David, that famous Old Testament king uh, from the Bible. Heavenly Father, as we open up the Word of God, I pray you'd open up our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I wrote a little intro. I hope that you understand it. It goes like this. <coughs> the morning light broke through the branches, and the fugitive knew it was time to move on once again. Without a word, he gathered what few things he had. Looking to the small group of weary travelers with him who had chosen to be fugitives as well, his mind raced back over the last few days and weeks. How could it have come to this? How could he not see it? How could he not know how the events of his life were going to end? In some ways, it seems like he had been on the run all his life. God had been preparing him in some ways. He knew every back road, every village, every cave, every gully, every place a man could hide for days or for hours. In some ways, you could say this was his ultimate test. But still, there was an enemy greater than Saul that was pursuing him that morning. That enemy was starvation. He had nothing to eat. So he woke up early before everybody else, and he looked down and he saw a village, a village with a very familiar tent, a tent that was made in the times of Moses called the tabernacle, and there it housed the Ark of the Covenant. Some years later, Indiana Jones would find that Ark of the Covenant, and the U.S. government would hide it in Area 51. Once a year, every licensed pastor in America gets to go and visit it. I've seen it. I, I'm just kidding. That, that's that's <laughs> That is a total lie. <laughs> Just wanted to see if you were listening. <laughs> As he went down to the village and crested the small hill, he began to realize that it was the village of the priests, the high priest Ahimelech living there. The fugitive was the famous King David who had defeated Goliath. David had gone from being an overlooked and underestimated shepherd boy to being anointed Israel's next king to being the great deliverer after he defeated Goliath to being a successful military general as Israel expanded his borders to becoming the son-in-law to the king by marriage through his firstborn daughter. And now he was a fugitive on the run. How could that have happened? Now, most of us are familiar with the story of David and Goliath. The battle is so well known that even in Christian and non-Christian circles, many people know of little David beating big Goliath and saving the people of Israel. But the story really begins with the prophet Samuel before that event. The last great judge of Israel and the high prophet Samuel Here's the voice of God one day, and that voice of God says, rise and anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be the next king. 
When Samuel shows up, Jesse parades all of his sons in front of him except one. Little, young, handsome, but ruddy David is left out with the herd to watch the herd as Jesse brings his nice, chiseled physique sons in front of Samuel. Samuel can hear the, the voice of the Lord. So he's, he's going, no, not that one. No, not that one. He's, he's going down the line. He says, this isn't in any of them. Do you have any other sons? And Jesse says, who, David? That little twerp out there with the hurt, you can't be thinking of him. He doesn't look like a king. He doesn't smell like a king. This kid is not who you want. Samuel says, I will not sit down until he is brought before me. So Jesse says, go get David. They bring David in. Samuel walks over to him and anoints him to be the next king of Israel. And then, just like that, Samuel leaves. No training, no instruction, no words of advice. Samuel is gone. And David is left standing in his living room, dripping with oil with his brothers and his father, looking on in amazement at what just happened. The reason why Samuel left in such a hurry is because he knows what he has done is extremely dangerous because Saul is king and his sons are his successor, not David. The next time we see David, the huge Philistine champion Goliath is threatening Israel and David with a few stones and a sling defeats Goliath, and he becomes a son-in-law to King Saul. King Saul had promised his daughter, uh, the princess, in marriage to whatever soldier would take out Goliath. So David does. David actually becomes part of the family line. He's young. He's a highly successful general. Not long after this happened, every woman in Israel was singing a tune. It went something like this. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, all right? Can you imagine if you're the king? Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. How is that going to make you feel? It's kind of catchy, but over time, that's going to get a little bit annoying, but it's the truth. And so eventually Saul gets very jealous of David. Let's just say the song didn't help. And he becomes filled with fear and paranoia and jealousy and makes David public enemy number one. How many of you ever had that? A boss, a supervisor, family member, somebody that got so paranoid of you, fearful of you, jealous of you, that they made it their new career to make you public enemy number one, whether it's on the job, in the family, whatever. This is what David has. So David comes to the village of Nob. Nob had 85 priests who were employed there and serving the high priest Ahimelech. It was home to the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. Now, going from prince-in-law... <laughs> 
to fugitive is very, very embarrassing. David probably did not want to go down to the village of the priests. But he's desperate. He's got no choice. The starvation is another enemy that killed many in ancient times. The story begins in 1 Samuel 21, verse 1, and you'll see it here on the screen, verses 1 and 2. David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech trembled when he met him, and he said, why are you alone? See, David was a famous general. He doesn't travel alone. He's got bodyguards everywhere. He says, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered and said, well, the king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, no one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. This is what you call a bold-faced lie. Some might say, oh, well, it was a little white lie to get some food. White lie, red lie, purple lie, whatever kind of color you want to put in front of it. It's a lie. David is lying to the high priest. David was running from Saul. He was not conducting any secret mission for him. But he must have sound convincing because Ahimelech believes him without any question. So we're kind of told the purpose for the lie as you get to verse 3. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. David is hungry. Jesus would actually refer to this story in the Gospels. Ahimelech doesn't have any bread except the consecrated bread that was supposed to be brought into the table of shoe bread and placed on there every day. They baked some extras, they got some of that, or they took some off from the previous day and put some fresh on, but they have holy bread. But David's thinking, holy bread, even better, right? So he gets the bread. But just before David leaves, he says, in this beginning of verse 8, Oh, by the way, uh, you don't happen to happen to have a sword handy, do you? Now, look around here. Of all the men you might ask, do you have a gun? Would you come up to the pastor and ask him, you know? Maybe. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, he is short. You know, just saying, you know, I mean, it's, uh, He's, he's talking to the high priest. They were not supposed to be armed, right? Uh, by the way, you got a sword handy, you know? Defend yourself a little bit. And Ahimelech, uh, he says, I left mine at home uh, because the king's business was so urgent. Notice he repeats the original lie a second time. And Ahimelech replied, well, yeah, we do have a sword. It's the sword of Goliath. David, you know it well. This is the sword of the man you defeated in the Valley of Elah. And it's here, underneath some cloths behind the effort. Go ahead and take it. It's yours. Now, the sword of Goliath really meant something to David. In fact, I believe he wept as he held it. Because the last time he held that sword, it was the greatest day in his life. He had just delivered his people from certain slavery and oppression with that sword. And David was in a real tight spot. In fact, some of us might be in a real tight spot. Life isn't going our way. We're backed into a little bit of a corner, maybe on the run from some struggle or addiction that keeps following us everywhere we go. For others of us, that season could be right around the corner. 
It's life on earth. But we are not left to fate, as so many people wonder. The sword of Goliath reminds us that just as God was there for us in our past, He's here for us right now. He's here for us every step of the way. David thought he was alone. He was struggling. He was hurting. Maybe he was dealing with some depression. I think that's why he lied. A man like David doesn't need to lie. Men who are capable don't need to be dishonest. But he's confused. He's struggling. He's hurting. God, you anointed me the next king of Israel, and now I'm on the run? I'm hungry? Saul's a few miles away? And I'm begging a priest for a sword? God, what's going on? I don't understand. I thought by following you, my life was supposed to get better, not worse. I thought when you called me into this thing, you were going to be with me, but it seems like you are a million miles away. How many of you can relate to that, that at one point in your life, you had that feeling, you had that thought? Probably most everybody. And God knew exactly where David was at. And he knew exactly where he was leading David. Back to church. Back to the tabernacle. And right there, behind the ephod, was something from David's past that was the biggest reminder you could ever imagine of God saying, David, I am with you. David, don't worry. Saul is no big deal. Don't be afraid. I've got you, David. Remember how we killed that giant together? He, Saul was too scared to fight Goliath. And don't worry, I won't let him lay a hand on you. And he didn't. David was on the run. David had to hide and avoid, but Saul never caught him. Years Saul tried to get him, and he never did because God had hidden David in his protective wing. If you have a discussion sheet, you can go ahead and flip it over, and we'll fill in just three application points that we can take home. The first is this. The sword is a reminder that hard times may come not for something you're doing wrong, but for something you're doing right. It's very easy when bad times happen, you step back and say, what did I do? God, what did I do? I must have blown it big time. But here's the thing. When you blow it big time, you know. So, you know, so it, but he's stepping back going, what in the world did I do to deserve this? And for some of us, there may be something we've done. But there's also going to be times where you have done nothing. You've been following God. You've been worshiping God. You've been walking with God. You've been trying to get your life in a straight and narrow. You've been trying to worship Him as best you have. And things still get worse. This is exactly where David is at. My kids will often say to me when they get in trouble, but I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Okay, we wouldn't be having this conversation if you didn't do anything. But in David's case, he could say that. But God, I didn't do anything. And David actually didn't do anything to deserve this. Remember, who, whose idea was it for David to be king? It wasn't David's. It was God's. 
David's just following his call. And that call led him to be a fugitive on the run. He's faithful to his father's business. He defeats Goliath. He's a successful military general. He's one of the most prolific worship leaders of his day. He's a prince of Israel through marriage. He's a hero of faith. You can do everything right and still feel like you're punished for doing something wrong. If you're in a battle and the temptation is raging against you and the enemies are hacking away from you, it's very easy to sit back and say, God, what did I do to tick you off? It sure seems like you're mad at me right now. Sure, sure, sure seems like you're a thousand miles away. And God says this, take heart. You may have done nothing wrong. You may be doing everything right. And this is part of the battle. And God actually gets kind of excited because he says, yeah, this is life on earth. This is the battle. And we are going to win it together. And boy, when you get one of those victories, there's nothing like it. I would never want to go through the struggles I've had in the past. But I would never trade those victories for anything in the world. Amen? <clears throat> there was a, a few years ago, actually like many years ago, there was a lady in our church. And, and uh, we were going to talk after church, but she, she couldn't make it. She had to go somewhere. So we scheduled an appointment. She came in. And as we're talking in my office, she tells me the story. You know, I, I've not always been an easy woman to work with. So when I got this job, I decided I was going to work as if I was working for God himself. I said, that's not a bad way to live life. That's a good way to approach it. I said, what's the problem? She said, well, what's happening is my attitude has changed. My work ethic has changed. I'm working harder. I, I'm, I've got more joy in my work. I truly enjoy serving our customers, da 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 And she said, but my boss, who's not the owner of the company, but just kind of my boss, she thinks that I'm going out of my way to outshine her in front of the owner of the business. So I had to ask the question, are you? She goes, no, I don't really want her job. She goes, I wouldn't mind her pay, but I don't really want her job. I just don't want to do a good job. Because I've been, you know, I've been such a turd on so many of my other jobs. I said, okay, well, I said, I get that. I said, what's the problem? She goes, my boss is making life miserable for me. And then I could just tell the weight on her soul was like an anvil hanging off her heart. So I said, sister, let's get on our knees and pray. We got on our knees. We bowed just like we bowed this morning. And I just, I prayed a prayer of faith like I've never had before. I said, God, you have heard her. She has humbled herself before you. She is trying to walk in your way. This persecution is coming because she's doing something right, not because she's doing something wrong. We lift this up to you. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would bring victory in this problem. Now, I've been in ministry 22, 23 years full time. Only a handful of times has something like this ever happened. She comes in two Sundays later and she goes, you will not believe what happened. I'm like, what happened? She goes, that boss who was persecuting me, 
she must have an anger issue because she just blew up at the owner. The owner fired her on the spot, called me into his office, gave me her job, hired an assistant for me. I get her pay, and everything is better than ever. And I'm like, yes! That's what happens. And she said something. She said, I was going to quit. I was going to quit the job. I'm so glad I didn't. Sometimes we quit too soon. David could have quit. David could have went to Spain, pulled a Jonah on God. You know, David could have went before Saul. Oh, Saul, I'm sorry. All of a sudden, his head's rolling on the ground because he just got executed. You know, David could have quit. He could have lied down in front of all of the opposition and said, it's too much. I can't take it. And maybe when he went to the village at Nob, he was tempted to do just that. But instead of quitting, he received the sword of Goliath, a powerful reminder that God has been with us in the past. He'll be with you now and for the future. Number two, the sword is a reminder that God was with us before and that God is there when we need him now. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. I remember I had a really dark time in my life, and some terrible tragedies had happened. I had suffered some loss, and um, I'll leave it at that. But I went, my parents were living in Thailand at the time, and I had went and I had joined them, and I had taken all my stuff with me. Now, the funny thing is, is I don't look through my stuff often. It's just a pile of stuff that kind of goes for me from house to house. So I had taken all my stuff with me. And I remember I was in Thailand, and I was kind of at a crossroads. I was like, you know, I'm Christian, so I know I'm going to heaven. But God forgives all sins, so I could really go this way and just flesh out for a while. It was a huge temptation to do that, especially in Thailand. And then I'm going through my stuff, and I said it in my head, well, I'll be a son's cagoo, uh, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that one came from. I probably never said that in my life. But I saw my student Bible that somebody gave me in high school. It was there. I pulled it out. I was like, I remember this thing. And I start flipping through it, and I come to this page where it essentially says God not only wants to forgive you, but he wants to redeem your life from the pit. And when that happened, I've never done this before, and I've probably never done it since. I took that Bible, and I hugged it like it was a person. And I began to weep. It was my sword of Goliath. You know, the Bible... Calls the Bible a sword, right? Sword of the Spirit. It was my sword of Goliath. And I began flipping through, reading when I was, because I didn't become a Christian until I was almost 18 years old. So I'm flipping through what my 18-year-old self wrote after all these Bible passages. And I'm weeping and I'm crying because this trauma, it had shaken me, it changed me. I was hardened in my heart, and really mad at God. And I'm, I'm going through it and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. 
right at the right moment, I was reminded, you know what? God was with me before. Tommy's with you now. And he'll be with you in the future. Point number three. The sword is a reminder that God is greater than anything we face in the future. 1 John 4.4 says, Greater is he who is within you than he who is in the world. The very sword that threatened all Israel in the hand of Goliath was now the very sword that would protect all of Israel in the hand of David. What problems are you facing right now? Like David, you might be trying to lie and connive your way out of them. I know I've had that times in my life. But this morning God says there is another way. There is a sword of Goliath in your life. And if you look back and you're honest, you'll find that sword and be reminded, God was with you before. He's with you now. And He'll be with you in the future. If you choose to suffer with God, the sword of Goliath is yours for the taking. And so is the peace of knowing that ultimate victory is coming your way. It was a few years ago. For the first time, I thought, man, I can't help this person at all. I've had that before. But this time was serious. A man came in and he said, I have never had an encounter with God. Ever. He's like, all your sermons, all this and that. He goes, I just feel like maybe I wasn't picked. All you people seem to be getting something out of it. But I don't have that. And I, I don't think he said sort of Goliath, but I'll just use that metaphor. He said, I don't have that sort of Goliath. I don't have anything like that. I can't say that God has ever helped me one iota. It has been a dogfight since I was 18 years old and I left my father's drunken home. I didn't think, get, you know, saying, brother, let's get on our knees, let's pray, would work in that moment. So I just, uh, I said, look, I'm not a fortune teller, I'm not a magician. I can't snap my fingers. I said, all I can do is pray for you. And I can pray for you in faith. I said, would you let me do that? He said, I'm here. So as, as we began to pray, it happens, I don't know how to explain it, but like a picture just flew into my head. Wasn't, it's hard to describe it. But as I began to pray, I saw this man as a little boy, like just before junior high, and that God was trying to connect with him. And as soon as I began to pray, I, I didn't put my hands on him. I just kind of put my hands toward him, just, I don't know, as a gesture of encouragement. I said, you know, as I began praying for you, I see a picture of you as a boy, like right before junior high school, and I feel like God, you know, really tried to touch and connect with you then. And all of a sudden, the man's eyes got really big. He went, oh, my gosh. What had happened was he started to curse himself. I said, I said please don't do that. God just, God just reminded you he's real. You don't have to say these words. You're not a horrible person. 
because you you know i get it sometimes you can walk away so far from the lord you forget anything he's ever done in your life i said please don't 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 do this because he was saying all these swear words me this and me that and i'm like don't stop please god is telling you he was there with you just before you went to junior high you had an encounter with him he's been there with you ever since and he is here with you now never had i seen such a changed man i'm no prophet i'm no fortune teller i just saw a little picture of a junior high boy and god trying to connect with him and i just said it and it was exactly what that man needed to hear i think all of us if we were to be truly honest somewhere back in there there's a sort of goliath reminding you god has been with you before He's with you now, and he will be with you in the future as we humble ourselves and allow him to lift us up. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Worship team, come on forward. As we close this morning, I ask that you would repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know there's a sword of Goliath in my life. You've done something before. You'll do something now. And I trust you to move in my life in the future. I humble myself before you. And I believe you will lift me up. Up, up, in Jesus' name.